Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn, please, to the fourth gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, reading through to verse 41. I know we've got the wrong scripture up there, but that's not their fault. That's my fault. Uh, Mark 4, beginning with verse 35 and reading on down to verse 41. Would you stand together, please, in honor of God's word? I'll be reading from the New American Standard. Yours may be a little different as we read along. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side, that is the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, And the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and it died down. He said to the sea, Hush, be still. And it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to read your word and to talk and to learn about Jesus. We ask this morning, Father, that he would be lifted up that every word that is spoken, everything that I share with our people this morning would bring honor and glory to you and honor and glory to Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In Washington, D.C., in the Museum of Natural History, there's on display in there the Hope Diamond. It's a vivid dark blue diamond, weighs just a little over 45 and a half carats. And according to geologists, it's a diamond without equal in all the world. It was found in the 1600s and it weighed over 112 carats when they d- discovered the diamond. You know, when, they, when you see a diamond, it starts out much larger than what it is. When they cut all the facets, they cut different pieces off to make it Uh, shine and and reflect the light as it does. But this diamond was 112 carats and is now 45 and a half carats and is considered to be priceless. It's said to be a matchless diamond. However, as you can imagine, there may be other larger, more valuable stones lying buried in the ground to be uh, dug up someday. And to say that the Hope Diamond is matchless is really to presume on the unknown. Albert Einstein is said to be the greatest thinker the world has ever known. Albert Einstein and I share one thing together in mathematics. I was in college my senior year when I learned this little fact about Einstein. He and I both flunked freshman algebra. So I signed with Albert Einstein. But he went on to ponder concepts so deep I couldn't understand them. We can't even begin to grasp the things he was able to think about. He was called a matchless intellect. 
However, who's to say that somewhere in the world there isn't a child whose mind is, is so sharp and brilliant so much that it'll even dwarf that of Einstein? Sometimes I think that's true of my grandson. Do you? I never met a grandparent yet that didn't. But the truth is that nothing in this world is matchless. Everything that man has made can be equaled or bettered by man. However, there is one who will never be equaled. He will never be bettered, and his name is Jesus. In our text, the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee when a storm arises. I don't know if you know much about that Sea of Galilee today in Israel. It's called the Gannaret. It's a large supply of fresh water. Uh, Israel gets much of its fresh water from that. But it's so large, and there are mountains on each side of it that the winds quickly can arise in what can be uh, a calm sea to start with. Before you get very far out into it, it can become very stormy. Uh, So in this case, the, the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sacked out in the back just completely resting. The disciples think they're going to die. This stuff is getting really bad. Have you ever been in a storm like that where you you feared for your life? I remember BJ and I were on a cruise a few years ago, and the waves and the water, while we weren't afraid that we were going to die, they broke out the windows on the fifth deck above the sea level. That was pretty rough seas. Uh, And this was a little boat. And I can imagine that they were afraid they were going to die. So they woke up Jesus and they spoke to him, asked him, don't you pay attention to the fact that we're about to die here? Jesus got up and he spoke to the storm. He spoke to the waves and the wind. And they laid at his feet like docile lambs. His disciples saw this great miracle. And they asked a question amongst themselves. Who is this man? What manner of man is this? And throughout his life, the story is the same. Everywhere that Jesus went, men marveled and stood amazed at his greatness. When he was just an infant, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was spoken of Jesus. His enemies marveled at his wisdom and his doctrine. John, John seven fifteen tells us, The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? His disciples marveled at his compassion and love for sinners. When Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, uh, we read that at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman, any woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? They were amazed. The multitudes marveled at his power to heal. When we read in the the second gospel in chapter 2 of Mark, where Jesus healed the uh, man who had been lame since birth, he got up his pallet and went out the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And then his enemies marveled at his word. In John chapter 7, we read that the officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. His executioners marveled at the greatness of Jesus. And things, beloved, haven't changed. He's still amazing all those that come to him by faith. To say that Jesus is matchless is an understatement. He will never be equaled. 
He will never be bettered. He will always remain the matchless one. And this morning, with the help of God, I'd like to take a few minutes and talk about our matchless Savior. He's matchless, first of all, in his personality. He's matchless in his beginnings. To say that Jesus had a beginning is an untruth. He always existed. Every person in this room, every one of us, had a time of beginning. We began at the moment of our conception. Jesus, however, had no beginning. He has always existed, and he always will. Jesus was there when the world was formed. John 1, verse 3 tells us that all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come. He was there before there was even a world to form. He formed it. In the prophecies of his birth, he's referred to as the everlasting father. Isaiah calls him uh, the everlasting father. Revelation 1, Jesus says that he's the alpha and the omega. And again, in chapter 1 and verse 18, he says that he's the beginning of the end and the end. He's matchless and that he has always been here and he always will be. So he's matchless in his beginnings, but he's also matchless in his birth. Every single one of us in this room came into this world in the same way. Our father and our mothers came together in a sexual union, and you were the result. I am the result. Jesus stands unique among all humans who have ever been born into this world. He's the only one who came into this world who was born of a virgin. Science calls the virgin birth a myth. Modern religion says that it's a foolish doctrine to believe. Believe it or not, there are even some Baptists, some Southern Baptists, who stand in pulpits today and don't believe in the virgin birth. But I say, let God be true and every man a liar. According to the word of God, Jesus was conceived in a virgin's womb, and he was born to a woman who'd never had relations with any man. Even Mary herself was amazed and said to Gabriel the angel when he told her how she was to give birth to the Son of God, Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. It can't happen. And yet God had a way to do that. There are many today who seek to deny the virgin birth. They contend it's not an important doctrine. But beloved, I believe it's one of the most important doctrines of all. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then he's not qualified to be our Savior. And we're without hope in this world. The Messiah had to be virgin born. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then he might be a sinner like you and me. If that's the case, we have no savior and we have no hope. But I have good news for you folks. Jesus was born just like the Bible said he was. He was conceived by the spirit of God and born of a virgin. He's all the scriptures say that he is and more. He's more than qualified to be our savior. Jesus is not only matchless in his beginnings and in his birth. He's matchless in his blessedness. Jesus is like no other. He's the sinless son of God. He was born into this world without sin and he lived his life without sin. He was born a king. The king of kings. No other king on all the earth was born a king. Many kings have existed, but they were born as princes or some other 
level of occupation. They weren't born kings. Jesus was born a king. A sinful man could never have paid the sin debt for the world. As sinners, every one of us was already under the wrath of God and doomed to hell. Jesus, however, was pure and sinless. When he gave up his life on that cross, an innocent man suffered the agony of death. When the innocent died for the guilty, God was satisfied and he accepted that death of Jesus as a payment for sin, for your sins and for mine. Praise God that Jesus was willing to go and take my place on Calvary. So that when I came to God for salvation, God was able to save me by his grace for one reason only. The price had already been paid. When I called on God for salvation and forgiveness of my debt, before God, I found that my debt had already been paid and that I was already saved by simple faith. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And Jesus, Jesus paid it all. Thank God that the innocent died for the guilty. That's what happens when a sinner comes before the throne of grace for salvation. When you came to God for salvation. The king of glory declares that the sinner is innocent because the price has already been paid in full by the king himself. God asks nothing more of us than we believe in his son. When we receive Jesus into our hearts and lives, we're instantly saved and forever forgiven. Colossians 2.13 says that when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Beloved, the record has been erased and forgotten. All our sins and wretchedness are gone forever. So he's matchless in his personality. But he's also matchless in his performance. He's matchless in that he died for sin. I've already touched on the fact that Jesus died for us, took away our sins upon himself on the cross, but I didn't say much about the method of his death, and I won't go into great detail today. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. When Jesus died, he did not die a clean, antiseptic, simple, easy death. When Jesus died, he died a brutal, difficult, and harsh death. According to Isaiah, Jesus was brutalized in his death. Isaiah 52:14 tells us, Just as many people were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. The prophet also relates that it was God himself who bruised the Lord Jesus. The father knew that it would take an innocent man, innocent blood, to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus, this morning, did what no person could ever have done, no other person could ever have done. He went to the cross, and he endured all that he did so that he might save the soul of the sinner. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He had his beard plucked out from his face. He was whipped and finally nailed to a rugged cross. Other men could have died in that fashion. Other men did. But no other man could have paid the price for our sins. It took the sinless Son of God 
being raised up onto that cross. And he took my sins on that cross. He took your sins upon himself so that he, we could be saved and that in that his death was a matchless death. And then he's also matchless in that he defeated death. After Jesus was crucified, they placed his broken, battered, very dead body in a borrowed tomb. When they rolled that stone into place, the Roman guards and others felt they would never see that man again. Many hated him. Some loved him. But they thought, particularly the Roman government, we're going to never see this troublemaker again. But praise God, he had other plans. Three days after his death on the cross, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He arose from the dead. Up from the grave he arose. Because he got up and came out of that tomb, you and I have the living hope and the promise of resurrection someday. Thank God because he came out of that tomb, we don't need to fear death. Because he lives, we too shall live forever. Because he lives, our departed loved ones who died in Jesus are alive and well. And we'll meet them again someday. My mother died in 1989. She was the one, along with pastor of our church, who led me to the Lord. And I dearly miss her to this day. But I know that one day, again, one day soon, I'm going to see her. I've studied the genealogy of my family history and learned that there were five preachers before me. I'm assuming that they were all saved. But I'm going to see those men that I've never met, never seen, but they're ancestors of mine. And they knew Jesus. And I'm going to see them someday. We're going to see our loved ones. If you've had a loved one who's died and gone on and is with Jesus this day, you too, if you're saved, will see them again. So Jesus is matchless in addition, in addition to his desire to save. And I'm talking about his performance. He died to pay for sin. He didn't need to pay for sin, but he died to pay for ours. He arose to conquer death. But thank God Jesus has a heart for sinners. He loves us. He died for sinners and he'll save anyone who comes to him by faith. Jesus himself said in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Did you ever realize that everything that God has done since... Man sinned in the Garden of Eden has been an effort to bring you and me, mankind, back into a right relationship with himself. Everything he's done since then has been to bring us to Jesus. The burning passion of the heart of God is the salvation of sinners. He calls all who will come to him. Whosoever will may come. So Jesus is matchless in his personality, his performance, but also in his promises. Don't you love the promises of Jesus? What a joy and a thrill to have those. New mercies every day. Joyful praise saying about that this morning. Promises of God. Again, whosoever will can come to Jesus and be eternally saved from their sins. It doesn't require a whole lot of effort. It really doesn't. It just requires a little faith. God's salvation carries with it an ironclad guarantee. He promises to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. His promise is to support us. You know that song, we've come this far by faith. 
leaning on the Lord. We never we haven't come this far to be dropped by him. Jesus never saved us to leave us to find our own way through this world. He's promised to guide us and to go with us through all the way. Our King Jesus has promised to guide us through all of life. He's promised to meet our needs as we travel through this journey of life. He's promised to give us an arm to lean on as we travel. Nor made mention of the great healing that took place this morning when my cane fell. I lean on that. But this morning, I lean on the precious arm of Jesus. I can stand here holding on to the pulpit. There was a day that I walked back and forth. We were talking earlier before church this morning with a few folks. BJ mentioned the fact that she used to be scared to death to see me in the church that we had in Maine. We had a pulpit and a platform similar to this. And I used to preach and sing sometimes with my feet hanging over the edge of the platform. And she'd fear that I was going to just step off the edge of it. I don't do that anymore. I'm afraid I might step off. But this gives me some support, especially when I've got this arm that will only go this high. Sooner or later, God's going to bring complete healing to it. But I'm speaking of the physical realm. But in terms of everything in the physical realm and the spiritual realm, Jesus gives us an arm and a hand to lean on. He's promised to receive us into heaven when we leave this world as well. And Jesus will never, ever fail you in the journey. You can count on that in this journey of life. No matter what happens, Jesus is there. He'll always be there for you. And whenever you need him, whatever you need him to be, you need to remember this. Jesus is still the great I am. And he will see you through. And then his promise is to see us safely home. Jesus never saved anyone that he's willing to lose along the way. His promise is that we will arrive at home with him. The day is going to come when I'm going to stand before my Lord. And I hope he wraps his arms around me and says, welcome home, son. Welcome home. Oh, I'd love to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I just really want to hear welcome home. I know I'm going to be there with him. And what I'm saying is every saved individual is secure in Jesus. We are as sure of heaven as if we were already there. I may not see another birthday. I may not live to be 80. I made it to 77 so far. But I do know one thing, that I'm going to heaven someday. And you know, as I get closer to that, heaven seems sweeter every day. I know that you're all younger than I am that are here this morning. You're not looking at old age. You're not looking at dying. You're not looking at heaven. But it's coming. And someday soon we're going to see him. And I'm just glad to know that I have an ironclad guarantee that I'm going to be in heaven with him. So regardless of what happens in this world or in my own life, I'm saved today and I'm saved tomorrow and I'm saved forever. If it were dependent on my goodness to get me into heaven, then I'd doubtless be in hell. But I thank God that when I can't hold on to him, he cannot let go of me. Oh, what a savior we have. You can count on God to keep his word. If he's promised, then it'll come to pass and he'll see to it. His promises can be counted upon. Just ask Abraham. Ask Moses. Ask Israel. Ask Noah. 
Ask Daniel. Daniel who was thrown into a den of lions, hungry. And God made a promise to protect Daniel. And Daniel just lay down and went to sleep. I like this picture of him sleeping on the neck of a lion, just relaxing during the night, using a lion as a pillow. Or you could ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He joined them in the fiery furnace. I'm going to make mention of a man later on at the close of this message named uh, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. Dr. Lockridge was a great, great black preacher of a generation ago. He went to Southwestern Seminary as a student and later taught there before I was there. But his name, S.M. Lockridge, his real name, born as a black man in uh, rural southern Texas, was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And when he was in seminary, they used to give him a hard time about his name, Shadrach Meshach. But one day his house burned. It was right up the road from where I lived when I was there. Somebody pointed out that place. There was a new house built in its place. But there on Gordon Street, his house burned to the ground. And you know how seminary students would be. They just then called him Shadrach, no shack, Lockridge. (laughs) But God will do what he says he'll do. He'll take care of you in the here and now, and he'll deliver you safely home one day. There are not many things that you can count on in this world, but you can rest assured that Jesus will do what he says he'll do, and you can learn to rest in him and trust in him. He's matchless in his personality, his performance, and his promises. But he's also matchless in his power. He's matchless in the power over sin. You can look at men like Samson. He was destroyed by the power of sin. The power of sin took a man like David to the depths of depravity and had him doing things that David probably never thought possible. He committed adultery fathered a child by another man's wife and then had, to, had that man killed. But beloved, God called him a man after God's own heart It's because he trusted God and God forgave his sin. I've never met a person who can handle sin. It's more powerful than you and I will ever be. Sin will defeat you. It will destroy your life. It will take from you everything that you hold precious and leave you with nothing but the pieces of a shattered, broken life. And while you and I are powerless to handle sin within ourselves, Jesus is more than ample for the task. He has the power to break the chains of sin. Sin that binds you and me, he can set us free so that we can serve him. The Bible teaches that Jesus has the power to liberate from sin and to break its power in our lives. And I know that to be true in my own life. And many of you know the same. But I can assure you that Jesus will give you the power to rise above the sin that you have as you bound today. He has that power. Not only is the power over sin's power, but Jesus also has power over sin's penalty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. I face those wages one day. But Jesus had the power over that penalty of sin and had the power to change my destiny. And he has the power to change your destiny. 
He can take a life headed for hell and he can turn it around by his great grace and he can take that life to heaven. Jesus makes the difference. No one ever need die and go to hell. Jesus has made a way for all men to be saved. His power is what makes the difference. And then he's matchless in his power over Satan. Pastors talk some about preaching about the dark side, the evil that's in this world. And according to his note in the bulletin this morning, it's been well received and he's going to preach a couple more messages on it. But beloved, I want you to know that the devil is a powerful enemy. He's deceptive. He's elusive. He's smart. He's hateful. And he's more than a match for you and me. Jesus, on the other hand, can handle Satan very well. Just after man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God promised the serpent that one day the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. And that was fulfilled when Jesus died for you and me on Calvary. I don't know if you know much about snakes. I don't know a lot about them. I've had a little bit of experience with them. I remember as a young boy picking up what I thought was a spring and some tall grass. Turned out to be a snake. Uh, I let go of it in a hurry, and I stomped on its head. But if you've ever stepped on a snake's head, you know that his body will thrash and writhe about. Even when you crush his head, he'll still try to get away. And what a picture of Satan. He has his head under the heel of Jesus, and he still thrashes about and causes plenty of trouble for men. But he's a defeated foe this morning. We must be wary of him because he loves nothing more than to hurt believers, those who belong to Jesus. However, while he's still active, he's already been defeated. I mentioned S.M. Lockridge, a great pastor, preacher, pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, a huge black church. He became president of the National Baptist Convention, Convention of Black Pastors, Black Churches. And he described our king, his king, Jesus, just like this, and I want to quote from him. I can't do it justice, but you'll get the gist of it. The Bible says that my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the Lord of lords. That's my king. My king is a sovereign lord. He's limitless. He's encouragingly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's immorally graceful, imperially powerful, and impartially merciful. That's my king. Do you know him as your king? That's my king, he said. Do you know him this morning? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizons of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of salvation. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you're here this morning. Mostly it's us folks. But do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried, and he sympathizes, he saves, he strengthens, he sustains, he guards and he guides, he heals the sick, he cleanses the leopards. But do you know him? 
He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He saves the unfortunate. He serves them. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. But I wonder if you know him this morning. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom, the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness, the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, (laughs) his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Yes, that's my king. That's my king. That's my Jesus. If he's not yours, he needs to be today. He needs to be. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.